afternoon, everybody. I don't know about you, but I'm particularly excited at the prospect of hearing myself in iTunes after today. Um, so thank you very much for joining us this afternoon, and thank you particularly to my guests who joined me on the stage for this afternoon's first session. I'm delighted to be joined by Manu uh, Kanwar. Manu is the Head of Commercial and Corporate Affairs at uh, Yahoo. <coughs> uh, alongside Manu, we have Georgina Nelson, who comes from the legal team at Which. Georgina heads up Which's information strategy and is very much <coughs> excuse me, four square in the topics that we're going to be discussing. Lastly, um, I'm joined by Maggie Lonergan, who is the Managing Director of Fortune Cookie, the award-winning uh, digital agency. I would say Maggie would give us a, a view from the coal face, but that probably belies her, her glamorous appearance, so I won't say that. We'll hear more from, um, from all three later. But let's move on um, to think about the ad industry itself. If we step back from the legal landscape for a moment, why do we want to talk about online ads? Um, the industry, I guess, has caught a lot of attention recently because it's, it's kind of counter-cyclical at the moment as everything else is declining or at least stagnant. Online advertising is a channel that's becoming increasingly fast-moving in an upward direction. I've laid out some numbers here as to the growth over the past 18 months in the industry. And from these, I think it's particularly noticeable that display advertising, which we'll talk about some more in the context of regulation of online advertising, is pushing a big part of that growth. This pattern of growth is one that we've seen, as said, over the past 18 months and will continue to see in the coming year. What's pushed this growth, particularly in display advertising? It's the evolution of the relevance of adverts that can be uh, pushed through that channel. Basically, this is a, an evolution that's come from online display ads starting off as virtual billboards. If I stick my brand up there, somebody will see it and maybe think about me when they have the next consumer action, whether it's shopping. Uh, online or shopping elsewhere. <coughs> From there, advertisers decided quite rightly that perhaps overlaying some context to their advertising might be useful. So if I do want to push links uh, deodorants, it might be better to do so through nuts.co.uk rather than marieclaire.co.uk, or maybe not, seeing the, the links adverts. Um, and then moving on to uh, targeted behavioral advertising. I think in a contextual situation, advertisers are relying a lot on third-party information, either that of the publisher or of the network. Um, now they can move on to thinking about what activities is the audience actually carrying out themselves? What are they looking at? Can I profile that audience and can I get better relevance to push my ad to them? This probably reaches its, its highest point, or certainly its highest point to date, in real-time bidding, where we have advertisers bidding for advertising slots into profiled audiences who they know are pre-qualified to be interested in their products. And the advertiser themselves has pre-qualified the kind of audience they want. And it's this beautiful marriage of product and audience in a, in a real-time situation that, that the internet provides in a way that I don't think any other advertising channel can. So that all sounds brilliant. What's wrong with that? Um, not a lot, I don't think. Maybe I'm in a minority. But how is it done? Well, we managed to, to do this in a number of different ways. Technologies of variety that are used to, to track users in this way and to build user profiles. Most predominantly, we use cookies to do this. Um, I've set out on the slide what a, a cookie looks a little bit like. Cookie is a simple text file that's placed on your browser when you have a look at a web page or an email. Um, I, I think it's almost like turning down the corner of the book when you've, you've read a page. 
It lets people know where you've been, but maybe it doesn't let them know who you are. Who serves these cookies? Well, you have first and third party cookies. First party is served up by the, the website that you're on, so Amazon recommends is an obvious example. Third party, where an advertiser uses some real estate on a website to push their product, not necessarily related to the website that you're looking at. Cookies come in a variety of different types, temporary, persistent, flash, super, I've laid out. Um, effectively, these vary by either the technology that underpins the cookie or the duration of how long the cookie is going to be there. So, for example, in my cookie, you can see that the duration is that the cookie will live um, on my browser until the 15th of January 2013. Alongside the cookie technologies are a host of other technologies, all of which serve to capture storing information on individuals' browsers and allowing third parties to come back and see if that individual has been to a web property where the cookie has been served previously. Now, all of this technology has not been without regulation. Um, since early 2000s, we have had regulation at a European level which has effectively created a, an informed opt-out approach, which works on two limbs. You give the user information, and then the user is allowed to say no thanks, or indeed nine, <coughs> as my slide says. <coughs> Excuse me. This has led to a general market practice where users are informed through privacy policies of what cookie use is being made, and then the user in turn can set their browser settings uh, to not accept cookies if that's what they want to do. So everyone's happy, or not. Um, concerns at a regulator level, I think probably driven by the amount of cookies and similar technologies being dropped, have led to a rewriting of, of the e-privacy directive. And as you'll see, we've kind of have a 180 degree shift. We've now moved from a position where the user is given information and can then opt out, to one where the user is given information and then has the opportunity to consent Effectively, the opt-outs now become an opt-in. And when we think about that consent, following the reference to Directive 9546 that underpins our Data Protection Act, that consent has to be freely given, specific, and informed. And I'll ask you to bear that in mind as we think about how this affects the online advertising industry. How's the uh, change to the directive been implemented? Well, as you'd expect from a 27-country-built European Union, um, it's not been implemented in a uniform fashion. So far, we've got around half of the countries having implemented some form of new legislation, or at least decided their current legislation uh, provides this comfort for users in the ability to opt out, which of course leaves around half not having done so, and has prompted the Commission to start proceedings against those countries. And back here in Blighty, um, perhaps being driven by the fact that they were already being sued by the Commission for their first implementation of the e-privacy directive. The UK government introduced the law last May, but decided in a year's moratorium to the end of this May uh, before the law would be effective. And following the changes to the directive in the UK, we've moved from what we had, which was an informed opt-out, an opportunity to refuse, to an informed opt-in, where we need to have consent. So does that mean that consent's the only thing that can be relied on here? Uh, there is a very limited exemption if you want to be using cookies in an online ad context. 
That exemption uh, is that if the cookie is strictly necessary for a service that's been requested by the user, um, then you needn't find uh, or you needn't seek that consent. I think it's uh, there's been debate around wh what would be strictly necessary and what wouldn't. Um, helpfully, we've had some guidance from the commissioner last month, but certainly in a UK context, uh, they don't think that first and third party advertising cookies are likely to fall within the exemption. And I think this is probably because it's quite tricky to um, state with a straight face that uh, users have necessarily requested those cookies and asked for ads to be served in that way. So where does that leave us? If you're in the online ad industry, how do you comply with what's required by the directive? How do you kill the cookie monster? I guess there's a number of options here. Maybe move your operations overseas. Um, to a, li a little bit of a big ask. Uh, and later on this afternoon, we'll have the commission launching formally, rather than leaking in December, their proposals for uh, new data protection regulation in, in Europe. And those proposals have a degree of extraterritoriality that might not render that a wise choice for your, your operations. I guess you can choose to ignore the legal requirement. Um, and I suspect that'll be quite a popular course of action come May the 26th. Um, not, of course, that's legal advice. You shouldn't do that. Maybe you stop using cookies and advertising altogether. Um, when I've mentioned this to people in the industry, this has been akin to stopping using the wheel. Um, uh, and I don't think as a result that we're likely to find that as an answer, which leaves us with getting users' consent. How? Both the directive and the regulations mention that consent can be captured by a browser. And throughout the debate of the law coming in and changing, this has been a, a source of, I think, uh, ultimately unfulfilled optimism on the part of the advertising industry. Um, browsers uh, and any other technology of similar type can afford that opportunity, but practically where we are nowadays is that the browser uh, offerings are not so well developed as to allow users to positively opt in to what cookies they are receiving and which they're not. There's been a big drive by um, most of the, the leading cookie, uh, sorry, browser manufacturers, as per my picture, to, to pull to the fore the consent uh, mechanisms within their browsers. Um, this, I guess, has been primarily driven by the US and the FTC there, but a lot of that approach in the US has still been driven by an opt-out requirement rather than opt-in as we have in Europe. So as we see the Department of Culture, Media and Sports saying, um, alongside the Information Commissioner, browser settings, yes, but just not quite yet. So what are we going to do to get this necessary consent to continue to serve our ads? Well, we have had some guidance from the Commission, which is a pretty thinly uh, sort of veiled excuse for me to put this tweet up. Um, if you've heard me speaking about this before, this is going to be in every presentation I do from now on. Um, I love to see a regulator saying, this is what we think you should do. It's a good start. Any other ideas? <laughs> um, so what have they said in, in their guidance? They've said that perhaps you can get consent to cookies uh, and their placement and website terms of use. Perhaps you can get them when you take uh, specific features into a website, and perhaps you can use pop-ups. Now, yeah, I'm sure you can, but in the, in the real world, none of these are likely to be very good for user experience, and I think they're not going to be very helpful to the online ad industry, which is why for a long time, as we've seen this change coming, um, IAB Europe, um, and IAB UK, perhaps in the van of that, have been working very hard together to come up with solutions uh, that might <coughs> satisfy the requirements of, of the now new regulation in the UK. 
And primarily those uh, efforts have led to a, a situation where IAB have come up with this quite eye-catching logo that they propose will be placed within adverts or around adverts on websites that will allow users to click to go to an information site and on that site to uh, express their preferences for, for online ad receipt or not. Um, this has uh, caught the attention of the, the Article 29 Working Party. Uh, for those who, who, who don't have the good fortune to know who they are, they are the kind of coffee shop of information regulators around Europe who get together every so often and espouse on um, how you can comply with data protection law. Uh, it's quite an unusual situation to find a, a panel of regulators coming together to give opinions which effectively change industries um, without any real remit other than the fact that they can come together. Anyway, that body has come together and said, thanks very much, IAB Europe, great effort on your part. However, what you have proposed is fundamentally still an opt-out rather than an opt-in, um, so we don't think that will do it, which I guess leaves us begging the question, what can we do now? And hopefully, Manu has got some thoughts. Thank you. Thanks, Callum. Um, so, as, as we've highlighted there, um, there is still an ongoing issue, and, and no one's really got a perfect idea, not even the regulators have got a perfect idea, as to how we can comply with this new um, legislation. And so what I'm going to talk a little bit about is, is what Yahoo's doing and where we've got to at the moment. Um, it's not ideal. We've still got a lot of uh, you know, some more work to do, uh, but it's, it's a good start. It's always good, I think, to remember that uh, the e-privacy directive is, more, uh, is much more than just about OBA. Um, it's dealing with uh, cookies that are placed onto a user's computer. And cookies could be they're placed there for a lot, for many other reasons other than just uh, behavioral targeting. Um, and OBA itself is much more than the e-privacy directive. Um, and so you've got on one side the e-privacy directive, on the other side you've got data protection directive, soon, to, soon we'll have the regulation, which deals with personal data. And OBA sort of sits in the middle of all of that. Um, as I say, cookies may not be personal data, and OBA happens not just through cookies. So we talk here about um, ways in which the framework uh, requires us to, uh, to, uh, to, to comply and how we would uh, be able to give users notice. So the first bit is transparency, uh, notice of the activity by the websites that are actually performing the activity, the people who are actually placing the cookies on the user's computer. And notice of that activity needs to be done um, by the ad networks and other third parties that are actually doing it on behalf of the advertiser. Then there should be control, so the users should have control and a choice as to whether it should happen. Um, in the case of retargeting, brands are using third parties who are then retargeting them, not just on, on the site that they're visiting or, or at that particular time, but a site they may visit in the future. And it's those people who are doing the retargeting that need to actually offer that control to the user. There's requirements uh, around uh, sensitive personal information that we shouldn't use that, special rules for children, and explicit consent required for certain activities like um, deep packet inspection. Because in those instances, the ISP not only sees the activity that the person is doing on their website or relating to their profile generally, but sees all the activity that they're doing wherever, that, what, whichever site they're visiting. So how is Yahoo um, actually um, dealing with this issue at the moment? 
As, uh, as Callum mentioned, the IAB in Europe have uh, uh, issued a code of practice and are supporting an ICON protocol. So you'll see there the ICON on a Yahoo site. There's a, uh, the Ad Choices link and next to it the logo that Callum had already shown us. When users then click on that, you'll be able to go to a page where it tells you more information about behavioral targeting generally, who's served that particular ad to you, how they've done that. So in this instance, you can say the ad was served by Yahoo. Where can I learn more about how Yahoo selects ads? You can then click on that. You can go to our privacy policy and see other policies relating to behavioral advertising. And then what choices do I have about interest-based advertising from Yahoo? And then you've got an ability to be able to go and actually manage those choices. You can click on there, and you can opt out from all, all uh, categories uh, that we have for delivering o OBA to that person. You can also go to the industry site here, where it gives a lot more information about behavioral targeting generally, ways in which people can manage it, the reason it happens, what your ad choices are for you as an individual, uh, and which, which websites uh, have been collecting data on you, so who's, got, uh, who's delivered a cookie onto your computer. So that was phase one that we've done, and that's what we've launched at the moment. Phase two would have the icon with metadata. So there's the icon again. And when you click on it, rather than going straight through another site, you can stay on the same site. But using the metadata that's within that icon, you can see that the advertiser that's delivered this ad is Yahoo. Um, and they, it was delivered also by Yahoo, because obviously you'll have instances where we may deliver the ad, but it's not us advertising. And then the third link where you can click through to, again, your online choices uh, website to see how that's being used. In that scenario where we've got the ICON protocol, um, it's, it's good, I think, to understand which parties are doing what. So the third parties, uh, they will offer you an opt-out themselves, or they can offer you an opt-out via the industry page. They're actually implementing the ICON protocol They'll have signed contracts with advertisers, with agencies, and with other third parties um, to actually implement the ICON protocol and to be able to deliver these choices and, uh, and opt people out when that's requested. And they open themselves up to independent auditing. The publishers, either website owners, they will provide an enhanced or other notice link. Uh, they'll provide disclosure in their privacy policy or terms and conditions. They provide a space in or around the ad where that icon can sit. Um, and they'll also sign up, again, with contracts with, with uh, third-party ad networks or with uh, uh, agencies and advertisers who are serving ads onto their site. The advertisers then need to design advertising with the icon in mind, so understanding where the icon is going to be. Is it going to be in the ad? Is it going to be around the ad? Is it going to be done by way of an overlay? They will also sign contracts, and they'll understand what activities would constitute third party and therefore get caught up by the code and the requirements and therefore require them to implement the, um, the icon. Uh, agencies, similarly, are designing icons uh, in mind in around the advertising, um, and they could also uh, decide to do that by way of an overlay. So that's one way that we've done it. That's an industry approach, uh, and uh, as we've said, that's supported by the... Uh, IAB Europe and soon to be enforced by EASA. And then the other thing that we've done on our own site is to have an ad interest manager. 
which says beta. It's been launched, I think, probably about 18 months to two years ago. It's still in beta because we recognize that it's not the be-all and end-all solution. It's going to be part of the solution. And here, you've got various information on the page that a user will be able to see. Uh, on the left, interest categories that they've been signed up to. So assumptions that we've made about that user and through the activities that that user uh, has conducted on our site, we can sort of decide what categories we think they may be interested in. Uh, then the user's got an ability to opt out. The activities that they've actually performed or that they perform most on our site, on the right, and then underneath that, information about that person's computer and cookies that have been um, placed on their, on their computer. Going to those in a bit more detail. So you've got your interest categories, and I'll just read this out because I'm not sure that anyone at the back will be able to see it. At the top there, it says, we use information about many of the pages that you have visited and ads that have been clicked. Some of the searches on Yahoo, uh, and some of the searches that you've conducted on Yahoo to create interest categories that help us choose the kinds of ads that you'll see. You can then edit or deselect those categories here or opt out of interest-based ads altogether. So you've got on the left, granular choices. You can opt out of marketing in some categories, but not others. And on the right, you can opt out of interest-based advertising, full stop. And you'll remember on that page that we went to just two slides ago, on the right-hand side, there was a box which talks about your activities. Here it says at the top, we summarize many of the activities on Yahoo here. These activities help inform the interest categories that you've been selected to. The summary is not editable, but you can opt out. And so, actually, you can't see it there, but you've got in the middle here, the front page, and then you'd be either a high, medium, or a low user. So that's, we'll, we'll make that assumption about you. You can't really change that, but you can opt out of, of the effect that it has in terms of the advertising that's delivered. And then that's information about the cookies, uh, about that person's cookie. Um, and the information there is taken from the last person's internet session, so that, that current internet session that they're having. That's it. Thank you, Thank you very much. Uh, I think give us some thoughts from the consumer's perspective, the concerns that are arising there. Right. Just keep going. Oh, okay. Hi. So um, for those of you who don't know which, we're um, Europe's largest consumers association. We have a sort of commercial arm which issues our which magazines and publications and the Good Food Guide um, and various other products and services. And that feeds into our sort of campaigning arm and our policy um, where we sort of lobby on behalf of consumers at a national and European level. And um, so obviously from this, this has been an interesting um, internal topic to broach. Um, as our marketing department, we don't sell our magazines on newsstands. It's all member, member subscription driven. And so um, our marketing department is very passionate about their use of cookies and being able to track users and use the banner ads. And then obviously our policy, Armour, busy speaking in Europe about controlling cookies and giving consumers full control and choice. So it's been, internally, it's been a very... Um, an interesting, interesting topic to broach. But I thought, um, I thought what I'd do here is I'd just cover off some consumer research which we 
which we did, two pieces, um, some quantitative. So that was like that was back in 2010 when we first started looking in this area. We did a sort of door-to-door -door omnibus of the general public, uh, 1,400 members. And then some qualitative research where we had a sort of online discussion forum, and that was with which members, where we sort of could get a bit deeper into the issues and what, what were people's concerns. So first of all, we asked about awareness, and this probably won't surprise you, even when we gave a description of what um, OBA was, um, over half percent of people had never heard of it. Heard of it. Um, more men had heard about it than women, higher social grades had heard about it, and obviously, as, as you would imagine, those um, who use the internet on a more frequent basis. We also asked about controlled use of cookies. So um, three in five said that they'd taken action to control cookies on their computer. 43% had deleted, 25% had changed their browser settings, but then that left a third who'd taken no action at all. So we asked um, on our quant survey, if I'm to receive advertising anyway, I would rather receive adverts of relevance. And we asked those who, um, yeah, whether they agreed with that statement. So as you see, 64% of users, you'll be happy about this, Yahoo, um, agreed that they would rather receive adverts of relevance. And then we said about, you know, there's always the argument about would users rather pay for online content than receive advertising because there has to be some recognition that the content has to be funded by some way. So we asked, I would rather pay for online content if it means I will not see online behavioral advertising. And less than a third percent, less than a third of participants agreed with that. Um, have I gone? So, yeah, so I think what's interesting in this next slide is um, when, we when we described online behavioral advertising, um, over half said that they felt it was an invasion of their privacy. So, um, that's obviously from a higher percentage than those who said they were f um, fine with online behavioural advertising. So I think it's not receiving relevant adverts, which obviously irks the, it irks the public. It's the actual method methodology, the tracking online. Um, we also asked, um, would you worry about other adult users seeing ads for things you've searched for? And again, that was about a third percent. And likewise, people had concerns about um, whether children would see things which they, adverts for things which they've been searched for online. So we, um, we wanted us to drill down into why people had these sort of privacy fears and, and what it meant. And as you see in the first, first bar is, I'd be worried about information being passed on to third parties. Now, um, I've, done, I've done quite a lot of uh, consumer research into privacy in general, and this always comes up top. So um, we, we asked a much broader question to a similar sample, which was, um, what are your concerns about your personal information? Today and we had, you know, CCTV, DNA databases, government data leaks, etc. And all of those were around 15%. And then up by 45% was I'm most concerned about my inf information being passed to third companies and I don't know who they are. So I think that's a real something which really has to be recognised. And then if you look at the other sort of high um, high hitters there, I don't know how the information is going to be used. I don't know which companies hold this information about me. I don't know how long it's been used for. So again, it's, I, think, I think it's this idea that consumers don't feel that they've got control of their data and they're not sure what's happening behind the scenes. And I think that's why it's really important to drill back to this idea that we really have to you know, push for transparency and information so 
consumers, if they need that information, they can get it. Who is collecting it? What is, in, what is being collected? And who is it being passed to? Now, the last slide is just um, from, taken from our qualitative research. And I think this it sums, up, um, sums up the position. So I'll just read these out for you. So those were in the camp of it's a threat to my privacy. So to me, they are invasive because they had been done without my specific knowledge or agreement and on my property, i.e. my PC. I value my privacy, and I do not want to be followed around the internet by someone I don't know in circumstances where I have no means of knowing, never mind controlling, how my tracks will then be used. And then you've got the other guys who want targeted ads. Most of the noise is about privacy, but there's another way of looking at it. Effective targeting means you get to see the things you want to see. If it means products and services can be developed and tailored to how I live my life, use and browse the internet, then go for it. Advertising is not going to disappear, so I'd rather have it targeted than blanket messages of no relevance to me. So I think as a, as a consumer representative, it's really saying there's no unanimous voice for consumers out there. And I think that's why it's really important that we have to have choice and consumers have to be able to choose whether they want OBA, and it has to be meaningful, and they have to have granularity of control. And I think when I say uh, whether they want OBA, um, I think that's one issue which we have um, with the IAB scheme, is that um, the, your online choices is about how to control online behavioral advertising. And as, we, as our consumer research shows, many consumers don't mind about receiving relevant ads. It's the tracking which they have the issue with. And many ad networks, even after you've said, I want to delete the cookie for online um, behavioral advertising on your online, your online choices, they will still track you and they will still profile you. They will just remember not to serve you a relevant ad. They'll just send you a, sell you a random one. And I, I don't think that's in any way um, a consumer's intention for visiting that site. So I think some work needs to be done there. Anyway, no doubt we'll be discussing it on the panel. So thank you. Thank you very much, Georgina. So if I could pick up on, on your last point, again, Georgina, that's a um, pretty damning indictment of, uh, of some of the efforts that have been made to date. Uh, generally, do you think that industry-led schemes can provide some benchmark for compliance here, despite perhaps the shortcomings of the, the IAB's offering to date? Um, yeah, you know, we fully support self-regulatory schemes if they meet, you know, certain standards. Um, and, you know, and we have been working with the IAB um, at Europe to try and, um, and recognise those shortcomings. So whether it be a browse, browser self-regulation or ad networks, yeah, there's definitely scope there. Okay. And um, uh, on, the, on the point of do not tracks, um, not serving anymore but continuing to track, Manu, is that... How, how does that sit? Well, I mean, it's, it's an interesting question. W3C are in Brussels at the moment discussing this very point, and, and they're going to try and codify what do not track actually means uh, and, and how it should be implemented. Um, but one of the things I think it's important to recognise is that even if people do click on that and they don't want to be tracked, there's still other profiling and other um, uh, data that needs to be collected just for, for other reasons, and, and W3C themselves have recognised that. Um, and that's just for the functioning of, of that particular site, uh, of the services to that person generally. And that's not OBA, that's, that's, that's profiling uh, and tracking for, for other reasons. Okay. Okay. Um, Maggie, do you think people are going to lose faith in online ads as a channel? Is it, is it just going to become 
you know, advertisers finding it all just a bit too hard uh, if we perpetually have to be getting opt-in consents. I think it can have serious implications for the browsing experience which we all have as consumers um, in terms of constantly having to go in and, and opt in. And I think you know, that, that there are profound implications there, I think, for, for brands and for, for media owners as well in terms of the experience you want to provide customers and the kind of value of that experience you're providing if you're constantly having to interrupt that experience by getting people to go back in and, um, you know, and, and change their preferences and opt in all the time. Um, I mean, I think going down the self-regulatory route is, is a really good one, I think, and I think we need the industry itself, you know, together with the IAB and with media owners and with ad-serving companies do need to get together to, you know, have a, have a really kind of clear and positive and transparent stance on how we handle this. Um, because, you know, I mean, I suppose in a sense I represent brands who advertise on, on this panel. You know, I, I advise, uh, you know, a whole range of different brands in terms of what they should be doing with their online advertising, and the reason brands love online advertising is because of the ultimate measurability and the very good targeting they can get from it. So you remove that capability and suddenly brands will think twice about, well, should I really be bothering with online display? Should I be going off and doing something else instead? Um, and that then has implications, obviously, for the content that's created to support those media properties, the content that consumers, as you can see from this research, want to receive. And there's an awful lot of backlash from uh, publications like The Guardian in terms of introducing paywalls to receive their content, etc., etc. So there has to be a real trade-off there, I think, in terms of what we are doing. Um, and I, I think there is there'll be no harm in potentially the, the you know the various parties of the industry looking at funding an education campaign to educate the the, the internet connected pop population in general as to what all of this means and what their options are and, and how to do it and essentially by ticking you know one box somewhere you, you essentially have opted in and uh, and, and it it, it um, essentially does then improve the overall experience otherwise it's going to be really bitty. <laughs> It's, people are just going to get cheesed off, I think, and it's just going to it's going to uh, you know massively impact that wonderful growth in in you know on the share of online retail and all of those things um, that we're enjoying right now in terms of digital. So that sort of sense of collaboration, um, we we had uh, Google's Good to Know campaign just in the run up to Christmas, sort of very high profile press yeah. and tube, and I think you couldn't move in London without seeing an advert from Google reminding you that they were serving you cookies. Um, is there anything, or are you aware of that kind of collaborative approach being taken? perhaps progressing what the IAB is doing at the moment? Well, we're working with, we're within the IAB um, and uh, with various other uh, roundtables. Um, and uh, so, yeah, as, as far as we're aware, we're trying to do all that we can you know, to talk to our, you know, the third parties that you've mentioned to, to try and come up with a solution that works. Um, and just hope that the, uh, the Commission and Article 29 at some point will realise and, and, and uh, come up with a, a practical endorsement of that. So that, that kind of leads on to maybe the questions that we shouldn't be asking, but um, you know, do, do you think we're now talking, it's five months from today, you know, are, are people going to comply? Obviously Yahoo's making great efforts from what we've seen, but generally, what, what's, the, what's the words in the industry? Um, I mean, I think, um, I think, I think in terms of, in terms of um, brands advertising, they're going to be very much led by what the ad-serving platforms and what the media owners are going to be doing, actually. So I think it's, in many ways, um, that the brands who are spending the media money are going to be reliant to a large extent in terms of what you know um, companies like Yahoo, Google, um, and other big advertisers are doing to comply with that legislation. So es essentially, that's that's kind of where it's going to come from, I think. But I think you are going to end up with a very real situation where people are not going to comply by May 2012, and um, it, it'll then be a question of how quickly 
uh, you know, any action might be brought against people who do not um, c comply with the, with those regulations. And you know, will it will it start with advertisers, or will it start with um, high-profile sites that aren't necessarily complying to the broader EU legislation? Don't know. But you know, my view is, is to a large extent, if if um, unless we kind of self-regulate, um, it, it, it often this will end up sort of being proved in terms of case law further down the line. That's probably right. It's not necessarily the advertisers who need to comply. I think you, you're able to recognise that. It's it's yeah. it's the the, the high-profile ad networks that are, that are doing the actually who are actually delivering that cookie that need to comply, and hopefully they will. Um, and we're doing all that we can. Um, but as to enforcement, and the ICO have said themselves that they're going to take a pragmatic approach to that, and it's going to be complaints-driven. So it'll be interesting to see once um, once once the deadline's passed, what what type of complaint yeah. actually occurs. From our um, my discussions with the ICO. Um, They've said that they would ex have, if they if there has been a complaint about a company and they investigate on the back of their complaint, they would expect that company to have progressed in doing a sort of audit of their cookies. I think what the I the ICO's vision is that um, there be you'll be able to sort of draw a sort of scale of how um, know what the word would be how nefarious a cookie is, for example. Um, and that would sort of rise incrementally with the consent obligations which would be needed. Mm -hmm. So speaking just from a personal, uh, you know, from a witch capacity and advising our commercial departments, that's what we're currently undertaking. Yeah, I, think, I think we're seeing that quite a lot in practice as well. It's this kind of grading, waiting, and almost sense of pain to the consumer. Uh, you know, that, and, and trying to prepare yourself through one of the, you know, maybe less uh, beautiful offerings that the, the commissioner suggested to, to actually capturing that consent. Um, I mean, I guess it kind of leads to a, a broader question of, you know, is there a space where we can get to this balance between the interests of the consumer and the consumer's privacy and, and the interests of the industry generally? You know, it's a fantastic industry. It's going gangbusters. Um, it's keeping lots of people, keeping lots of people on the stage in a job. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, consumers have their rights and, and we need to be, uh, you know, aware of those and guard those. Uh, Manu, have you thoughts on how that balance can be achieved? Through solutions like this, hopefully. Um, but uh, I think we need to make sure that users have information, as Georgina said, they know how to, how to control uh, information that's collected about them. And, 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 and if, we, if we are as transparent as possible, um, then hopefully we are able to balance it. Because I think users are more afraid uh, about words like tracking and so on when they don't know what, what's happening and what it's actually used for. And once they've got that knowledge or they're empowered with that knowledge, I think they feel a lot more comfortable about that. And I think the witch surveys sort of recognise that as well. Absolutely, and I think that's because, as, as you say, there's that balance between wanting to gain access to, to content which which they want to consume, and that ability of tracking. And I think the piece of the of the pie that's massively missing is education, um, and educating the, the, the you know the the, um, the population in general as, as to what cookies do, the different types. Because there's so many different types of cookies, and the whole internet industry has now grown up on cookies being used essentially to allow you to um, essentially to, to have the browsing experience that you have. I mean, there are more than two thousand cookies on the BBC website alone. Now, some of you who use the BBC site, I'm sure, will know some of those are related to the fact that you might want to be able to personalise the weather report to your postcode. But the other, a lot of other of those um, uh, cookies are, are purely related to uh, just being able to serve up and, and see the content um, that the BBC can offer you. Uh, so I think uh, just, just a kind of broader education piece around which cookies do what and what control you can have over which cookies and certainly in terms of the tracking of third parties and, and advertising would be hugely useful. 
Um, and not least because actually when it comes to, um, uh, you know, behavioral advertising isn't always, it's not a perfect science either. And there may be examples where, um, you know, I mean, the example that, that Manu had up on the screen was obviously for a car. Well, if you've just bought a car, you don't want to carry on receiving ads for a car because you've kind of done that purchase, you've kind of moved on. So there's value in being able to go in and say, actually, don't serve me up this stuff anymore because I'm out of the market for that. And that's better for you and it's better for the advertisers because they're, they're not wasting inventory on you and you've actually moved on from that space as well. Um, so I think it is just that whole education piece in the middle which is really valuable. Yeah, I, um, I guess I'd also, I'd also just like to say we are dealing with, you know, traditionally the most innovative and creative industry. And I would hope that advertisers could think of a way to, you know, to engage, to educate consumers and to also, you know, incentivize. So, you know, if we do see a state of play where advertisers are going to have to get opt-in to consumers, like, you know, ad advertising has been making huge amounts of money off the back of consumers' data for many years and consumers have not, haven't even been aware that this has all been going around behind the scenes. So I think maybe we'll see different models springing up where, you know, companies are incentivizing consumers opt-in to, to receiving ads or to receiving cookies. And, um, and, you know, you will get this voucher or this, you know, this percentage of any, um, any purchases which you make. You know, the I allow, I don't know when it, whether any of you are familiar with the I allow model. That's one which has sprung up, which is doing that. So, um, yeah, a bit, of, a bit of imagination, I think, would... Um, yeah, would be unwelcomed as well. I think, I think that's right. So it, you're right to sort of mention the industry that we're in and, you know, the giving messages to people is exactly what they're all about. So uh, maybe we'll end up in a place where we've got um, freely given, specific, informed and rewarded consent um, <laughs> uh, as the way forward. Uh, on that happy note, um, I'd like to thank uh, Maggie and uh, Georgina and Manu for their thoughts today and for their words when presenting. Um, I've just about managed to wrap up on time. Thank you all for your attention as well. And uh, we'll move on to the next session. Thank you.